I don't even have to pray. That, that last verse we sang is exactly what I would pray. What a privilege it is to hopefully show you Christ and for us to behold Christ together. And that is, that is my prayer. That is my goal. If you'll turn with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and 2. I do want to show you Christ. I do want to preach about the powerful and the perfect priesthood of Jesus Christ for sinners. And the title of the sermon is The Efficacy of the Advocacy of Jesus Christ. Maybe you'll get a little more what that means in a minute. So we're going to focus in on the first two verses of chapter 2, but I want to read from God's Word chapter 1 and the first paragraph of chapter 2. So please... Hear God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make God a liar, and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is The propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, like I said, we're going we're to focus on the, on the first two verses in chapter 2. And we're going to laser focus on that little phrase in verse 1 that says, We have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous. So my goal today is to convince you, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is to convince you of three truths. One is that we have an advocate. We have an advocate, Jesus. The second thing I want you to be convinced of is that you need an advocate. You need an advocate. Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We have an advocate because we need an advocate. And let me tell you about the advocate. We, the advocacy of Jesus Christ is powerfully, perfectly effectual. And that's what I want you to see. And so let's look at the, the very first, most obvious truth in this text. In verse 1 it says... We have an advocate. We have an advocate. And, and so this, this little phrase makes me ask three questions. You know, what is an advocate? Who is our advocate and why in the world do we need one? I've sort of already answered those questions, but I want to answer them from the text. So what is an advocate? Literally, this word shows us somebody that will come alongside us and help us. We need somebody to come alongside and, and help us. We need a helper. That's what this word means. It's, a, it's an advocate. and The word's only used by John. It's used here and it's used in his gospel. And it's only used to refer to two persons. The Holy Spirit and Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus himself calls the Holy Spirit our helper. And that's the same word. He says in John 14 that I will ask the Father, he says, and he will give you another helper. And so ask the question, how is it that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help? Well, the phrase right before that where, where Jesus says he's going to send the helper sort of gives us a clue. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will send a helper. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to obey Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us to be holy. Imagine that. And then there's a little phrase after that where Jesus says He's going to send the helper. He says, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to know the truth. To know conviction and righteousness and sin and judgment and the truth about Christ and the things of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is our helper in holiness and truth. And Jesus here is our advocate. It's the same word. Jesus is our advocate. This text says we have an advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus. It says. So Jesus is our helper. He is our advocate. The same word. And so why do the translators put advocate here and helper there? And I think it's because Jesus is our helper in a different way than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our obedience. Jesus here helps us in our disobedience. I.e., He helps us when we sin. This is what John's saying. He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a helper. So Jesus is our advocate with the Father when we sin. And so I want you to, to think about, get an understanding of an advocate as someone who speaks in defense of somebody else. Someone who pleads on behalf of somebody else. Somebody who pleads like in a court of law. Like a lawyer. But it's actually... It's actually even greater than that. It's even more than that. So I want you to think about somebody who pleads before a king for you. A rebel. A, a criminal. A, an enemy of the kingdom. And so this word is giving us a, a sense of somebody who has great favor with the king who will come and plead and beg on behalf of somebody who's in real trouble. That's the kind of help that John is pointing to. That's the kind of advocate that we have in Jesus Christ. So why do we have an advocate? It's because we need an advocate. This is the second great truth here. We need an advocate. Why? Sin. We need an advocate. Because we're sinners. Just look in these two sentences. How many times the word sin shows up. Four times. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He's our propitiation for what? Sin. Not for, just for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Sin. This is why we need an advocate. Who does this text say we, who, who does this text say says that needs an advocate? I mean, it's tripped all over that, huh? Simple answer. Everybody. We, we all need an advocate. We just look, look in the text at, at who all needs an an advocate. At the end of verse 2, it says the whole world. The whole world needs an advocate. In the middle of verse 1, it says, if anyone does sin, anyone, anybody, everybody needs an advocate. At the beginning of verse 1, he says, my little children. 
I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You need an advocate. Child of God, you need an advocate. Christian, GCC church member, you need an advocate before God. And in the middle of verse 1, he says, If anyone does sin, we, we have an advocate. We, me, you, the Apostle John, the whole world. We all need an advocate because we've all sinned. Just as John writes in his previous paragraph, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. So who needs an advocate? We all need an advocate. And so this text has something to say to us all. But this text is also a really good place to, to point out something. To point out this, there's a distinction in this all. There's a distinction between believers and unbelievers in their relationship with sin and in their relationship with the advocacy of Jesus Christ. And it all has to do with the way you walk. How do you walk? We're all guilty. Yes, we are all guilty in Adam. Ryan told us that a couple of weeks ago from Romans 5. And yes, we've all sinned personally. And we still all sin personally. But there's a difference. There's a different relationship with sin because of Christ for those born again in Christ. And this is, this is totally connected to Dustin's sermon from last week on sanctification. In chapter 5, John says, Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so every genuine believer has been born again. Every genuine believer has a new heart. And we have a new spirit. We have a helper. We have that helper, the Holy Spirit, in us. And like we heard last week, that the power of sin has been broken. In Christ, we have crucified the flesh. And now we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And that word walk really gives us an illustration of how to recognize this distinction between Believers and unbelievers, because Christians, genuine Christians, have a new walk. We have a new way of thinking. We have a new way of acting, a new way of living. We have a new, different relationship with sin. We're like Paul says, we walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And like John says here, we walk in the light, not in darkness. And we see at the end of this paragraph, chapter 2, verse 6, he says Christians are called. We are called to walk differently from the world, but in the same way as Jesus walked. And so how do you walk? What's your walk? This, this walk, this lifestyle, this new pattern is actually evidence of salvation. I think you said that last week. 
And, and John's telling us the same thing. Look in verse 5. He says, by this we may know. We, we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says that He abides in Him ought to walk the same way He walks. And this is why John's writing. This is one of the reasons John's writing this little letter. In, in chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know if you, sidebar real quick, I don't know if you've ever studied that. What a gift to God's church. That we may know that we're in Christ. That we may know that we have eternal life. This is, this is what we're talking about. Look at verse 29 here in chapter 2. He says, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is, this is what John's doing. He's giving us a way that we can know who has been born of God and who has not been born of God. And so it comes down to how you walk. It comes down to what you practice. Chapters 1 and 2, John uses the word walk, and then in 2 and 3, he begins to change that into more of a, a habit, a practice, what your lifestyle looks like. In, in, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to cultural Christianity. Don't let, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And on the other hand, whoever practices sin, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's strong language. But notice the emphasis on the way of life. He says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And he says by this it is evident who is the child of God and who is the child of the devil. It's the way you walk. Now wait a minute. Do you, is, is John saying that Christians no longer sin? No. Unfortunately, we still sin. But we do not walk in sin. We do not make a practice of sinning. We walk in the light, though we may trip. We do not practice sin, but we still have a problem with sin. Now it's a problem that's getting better. It's improving by degrees because of the helper. One of my favorite illustrations about this topic, I think comes from Paul Washer. He says, you follow me around with a Polaroid camera, and at some point you will be able to get a snapshot of sin. But if you follow me around with a movie camera, a video camera, that, that video is going to show something different. A moment of sin versus a life of piety. This is the reality for born-again believers. And it's in this reality, this new reality, this new heart, this new walk, and this is what makes these words in 1 John 2 sweet. Sweet words to the child of God. Sweet words. 
Because I, I want you to take a look at what John's doing here in, in verse 1. The, the previous paragraph, he, he spent calling out these false converts, these false teachers. He says, you cannot, you can't do that. You can't profess fellowship with God while you walk in darkness. You're lying. You're lying to the world, you're lying to yourself, and you're lying about God. Harsh words to the hypocrite. But then, there's this sweet pastoral pivot in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Yes, Lord. I don't want to sin. These are, these are sweet words to a regenerate heart. Lord, I do not want to sin anymore. John, give me some of these words so that I may not sin. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, remember this. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yes! That, that's sweet words to the Christian when he sins, when he stumbles in the light. My sins are forgiven. I do indeed have an advocate with the Father in heaven. In the midst of that momentary lapse of reason, in the, in the midst of another discouraging yield to temptation, when, when you are crying out like Paul in Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. When you're in the middle of that, remember this. You have an awesome, effectual advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now notice what I just said, effectual. This is the third great truth. This is the main great truth. That the advocacy of Jesus is powerfully and perfectly effectual. Let me ask you this. What good is a lawyer if he or she is incompetent? What good is a helper who can't help? What good is medicine if it has no effect or the wrong effect? And let me ask you this. What is more important than being right before God? We need an advocate, but we need an effectual advocate. And boy, do we ever have that. The, the, the title of the sermon is The Efficacy of the Advocacy of Jesus Christ. Efficacy. Maybe that's a, a, a new word for you, but it's simple. Ethan can tell you what it means. Efficacy simply means effectual, effective, the effectiveness of something. Something or someone that produces the desired effect. And so the question is, just how effective is Jesus? 
Just how good of an advocate is Jesus? And that's what I want you to see. That's what I really, really, really want you to see. This is what I really want to magnify. The efficacy of the advocacy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want you to be overwhelmingly convinced of the power and the perfection of Christ, our great high priest. I want you to be supernaturally comforted and run to Jesus Christ when you fail. And I want you to rest in the finished, never finished work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to worship him. I want you to worship the advocate. And so I'm going to give you five reasons that Jesus' advocacy is so effectual for sinners. Because of his righteousness, his sonship, his propitiation, his purpose, and his presence before God. So the first reason is his righteousness. Jesus is an effectual advocate with the Father because... Jesus is the only one righteous. Jesus is the only one righteous. Look at what John says in this verse. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous. We need a righteous advocate. You're not righteous, by the way. You cannot advocate for yourself. This is not the Hines County Courthouse. You cannot advocate for yourself. Please hear me. You cannot and you will not stand before God alone. You will be ripped to shreds. How many people honestly think they're going to stand before God because they think they're a pretty good person? They're going to be ripped to shreds. If you think that, you're going to be ripped to shreds. Please do not be ignorant of the righteousness of God. Please don't be deceived like the people in this previous paragraph. You are a sinner and you cannot advocate for yourself. And sinners cannot advocate for other sinners. Who's going to represent you? If it's not you, who's going to represent you? Look around. There's none righteous. Not one. Imagine going to trial. Going to trial with your lawyer and you find out this joker has more outstanding warrants than you do. How's that going to work out? Not too good. Listen, every mouth is going to be stopped. The, the whole world. That's why they need an advocate. The whole world is going to be held accountable to God. Sinners cannot advocate for sinners. So where's your help going to come from? Where's your help? Right here. Right here in the text. 
Jesus Christ is the only righteous advocate. This is exactly why John adds that little description at the end of verse 1. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We need a man. We need a righteous man to be our advocate before the righteous judge of all the earth. John says we have one. The only one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So how does John know that? Remember how he starts this letter? John knew Jesus. He, he heard Jesus. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus on earth. And what does he say about Jesus? The righteous. Look in verse 29. He says, you know he is righteous. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, he says, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Why? He is righteous, verse 7. So this is reason number one, that Jesus is an effectual advocate with the Father, because Jesus is the only one righteous. Second reason is His sonship. Man, you really need to think about this one. His sonship. Jesus is an effectual advocate with the Father because Jesus is the beloved Son. Verse 1, again, it says, we have an advocate with who? The Father. Who is our advocate with the Father? The Son. The Son. There's an old saying, a good lawyer knows the law. A great lawyer knows the judge. I want you to think about that for a second. That's a man saying. It works down here. <laughs> a good lawyer knows the law. But a great lawyer knows the judge. Let that sink in. There is no better advocate before the judge than the judge's son. There's no greater advocate before the king than the heir himself, the king's son. There's no better advocate before the father than the beloved, righteous son. Remember what the father said from heaven? It said, he said, this is my son. In whom I'm well pleased. That's your advocate. What else do you need? Who, who else do you need? And, and let me ask you. You want to represent yourself? When the Father has offered you His beloved Son? I hope you never sin again. I really do. I hope you never sin again. But if you do, remember this. Upward I look and see Him there. Who? The Son. The one who made an end to all my sin. The one who ever lives and pleads for me. Do you, you realize that the one who ever lives and pleads for me before the Father is the only begotten, righteous, beloved Son of God Himself? It's not a hired hand. 
the one who said these words. Jesus said some words that John heard and he wrote down. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now if that doesn't shake the shackles of sin, I don't know what will. If the Son sets you free, you're free. That's your advocate. That's reason number two. Reason number three. Propitiation. Jesus is propitiation. Jesus is an effectual advocate for sinners because Jesus is the only propitiation for sin. That's what it says right here. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. What's a propitiation? <laughs> Some of you know the answer to that question. Some of you don't. But in my opinion, this is one of the most important words a Christian can understand. This is the one word gospel. Propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation. So what's that? Jesus is our wrath appeasing, wrath appeasing sacrifice. That's the simplest definition. A wrath-appeasing sacrifice. You know, when the, when the volcano erupts and the, the natives in the jungle think they've made the volcano god mad, and so they march the innocent little virgin girl up the mountain and throw her into the raging lava, and what happens? <sighs> volcano calms down. The anger's gone. When Isaac... Walked up Mount Moriah with wood on his back for the burnt offering. He asked his father Abraham a very important question. It's a question that nobody seems to ever ask. Isaac said, Father, I see the, the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? There's a burnt offering fixing to take place and I don't see the lamb. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the propitiation? We've sinned against God, our Creator. God is a righteous God and He's, He's angry with the wicked all day. He displays His wrath. He's the God who says, the soul that sins shall surely die. That's us. We need a sacrifice. We need to be asking the question, where's the lamb? Where is our propitiation for sin? Right there on the cross. Right there with the Father. Right here in this text. That's the answer to that question. He is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is an effectual Here's that word again, effectual propitiation for sin. Now this little sub-point is probably going to be so obvious you might have never even thought about it. I explained what a propitiation is. Now what does a propitiation do? A propitiation propitiates. What does a wrath-appeasing sacrifice do? It appeases wrath. 
And so a, listen, see if I can do this. A propitiation that does not propitiate is not a propitiation. Say that three times fast. But it's, it's true. And look at what the text says. Verse 2. He is. He is the propitiation for our sins. Enough said. He's not hoping to be. He's not trying to be. He's not going to be. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is an effectual propitiation. And he is the exclusive propitiation for sin. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The most pressing question for mankind is what Job said. How can a man be right before God? I want you to name, in your mind right now, name all the different things you can do to be right with God. And I'll answer back with, all our righteous deeds are filthy rags. Okay, so now name, list all the different sacrifices you can offer to appease God's wrath. And I'll answer back with, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now look at this text. Do you see a list of suggestions? No, it says he is the propitiation. The definite article, propitiation, singular. Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. He says, I am the way, singular. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the exclusive propitiation for sin. And He's our propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation for sin. John starts his gospel with the Word became flesh. Why? The eternal Son the eternal Son of God became man. Why? So that He could be our propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. See it? Not the dog's sins. Not, the, not, not for the sins of aliens in outer space. It's not the angels He helps. He is the propitiation for our sins, the sins of God's people. This is what the writer of Hebrews talks about when, when he says that Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He had to be made like his brothers. Why? So that he could be a high priest. So that he could make propitiation for the people. He's our propitiation. And not just ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the propitiation for the whole world. And no, I'm not going to start another sermon right now explaining all the wonderful theology and arguments about what that means, but I want to sum it up in this way. Jesus didn't just die for Jews, but for Gentiles too. He, did, he didn't just die for the Ephesians, but for the Corinthians too. He, he, he didn't just die and propitiate for the sins of the people who got this letter the first time. He did it for you too. 
By His blood, He ransomed people for God from every tribe. From, from, he, he's ransomed people for, for God from, from the whole world. So that's not the point I want you to see. The point I want you to see is the enormity of it. The magnitude of it. The value of this propitiation that is Christ. I want you to see the efficacy of the propitiation. It's not just for little sins, so-called, but for the worst sin imaginable. It's not just for one sin, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's not just for all of my sins, but it's for all of your sins. And it's not just for all of our sins, it's for the sins of the whole world. One sacrifice. Wow. And wow. Oh, to see the pain written on his face, bearing the awesome weight of all that sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning his blood-stained brow. That's the power of the cross. That's the magnitude of his propitiation. That's the efficacy of the advocacy of Jesus Christ. Some people say, we don't know what I've done. I've sinned too much to be saved. Please. Bro. That's foolishness. Jesus is the propitiation for the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes it all away. That's reason number three. Hope this is helping you. Reason number four, his purpose. Jesus came on purpose. Jesus is an effectual advocate with the Father because the Father sent Jesus for this very purpose. Look at what the phrase says again. It says, we, we have an advocate with the Father. So read that the other way. The Father has an advocate for us. The Father has provided an advocate for us. We have an advocate with the Father because the Father sent an advocate. Jesus is the Father's designed and designated, appointed advocate for sinners. The Father sent Jesus into the world for this very purpose. Don't miss that. What better advocate could we ever have than the one that God appointed? A God-appointed advocate. What other advocate could there even be? And, and look, flip to chapter 4 and you'll, you'll, you'll see this. Chapter 4, verse 8. John writes, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be 
He sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. God sent Jesus to do this. This is the design. This is the purpose. God sent Jesus to be our propitiation. God sent Jesus to be our advocate. Do you think the Father listens to the Son whom He sent? Rhetorical question. Yes. Do you think God is going to accept the advocacy of His only begotten Son? The one He sent? Can this ever fail? Not a chance. Reason number five. Presence. Jesus' presence. Jesus is an effectual advocate with the Father because Jesus is ever present with the Father. See that again right here in the text. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is with the Father. It literally means with the Father. He's he's near the Father. He's, He's in front of the Father. He is right there. He is right there. And this is amazing when you think about it. Our personal advocate before God is actually right there before God. And I want you to see that in two different ways. I want you to see proximity. Jesus is right there with the Father. And secondly, I want you to see the perpetuity of it. He's always right there. He's always and forever with the Father. Jesus is ever present with the Father. Jesus is right there with the Father. Where is Jesus? Right now? Right there? Last week, Blake posted an article by Kevin DeYoung titled, Happy Ascension Day. And that's because it was 40 days after Easter, 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus ascended back into heaven. So get this, we have an advocate like in heaven. We have a man in heaven. We have a man in heaven. The man Christ Jesus. And there's there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus has passed through the heavens and he's right there with the Father. He has entered into heaven itself. The writer of Hebrews says Christ has entered not only in the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And there it is. We have an advocate with the Father in heaven itself. But not just in heaven, not just over there on cloud nine somewhere. Jesus is in the presence of God. He is in the holy of holies. We have a We have an advocate in the Holy of Holies. The veil is torn. The way is now open. Our great high priest is face to face with God in the inner place where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf. The the writer of Hebrews says, 
But he's even closer than that. He's not just in the same room with God, not in the same holy place with God, but he is right there, seated at the right hand of God. Like, right there. It says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And I'll just let the writer of Hebrews make my point. He says, quote, now the point in what we are saying is we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. So our advocate is right there with the Father. No Zoom meetings, no, no scheduled appearances, no phoning in every now and then. We have an advocate with the Father. When? Always. And forever. Always. He's crucified and raised from the dead. Conquered death. He is the living one. He said I, die, I died and yet I live. I'm alive forevermore. Jesus ever lives and he never leaves. Paul says, Who's going to bring any charge against us? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, he's raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? When? Right now. Present tense. 24-7 for eternity. So, what shall we say to these things? How should you respond to these great truths? First of all, you just you need to believe. You need to believe in the advocacy of Jesus Christ. You need to ponder these things deeply. You need to let these truths sink deep into your soul. You need to let your heart be filled with faith. You need to be absolutely convinced of these truths. One, that you really need an advocate with God. You really need that. You, you have no hope without the advocacy of Jesus Christ. And you have no help without the advocacy of Jesus Christ. But there's good news. You have an advocate. The Son of God. Jesus gets the job done powerfully, perfectly, today, tomorrow, and forever. So believe it. Believe it. And second, run. Run. Run to the advocacy of Christ. Run to Christ. Run to the throne of grace. Listen, if you are lost here today, if you know that you don't know him, praise God for that, first of all. But if you're lost here today, realize these truths and run to Christ. If you are walking in darkness, run to the light. He is the propitiation for your sins. He is the advocate for you before the Father. Run to Christ. He is the only help for sinners. 
And if you are a Christian here today, guess what? Realize these truths and run to Christ. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Run to him. Run to him early and run to him often. Run to him humbly, but run to him confidently. Run to him. Don't be like Adam who had no idea of an advocate when he sinned. Don't run from the Lord. Don't try to cover up and hide. The same one who said, where are you, Adam? Is the same one who bore away your sins. Is the same one who sits right there with the Father for this purpose. Ever living, ever interceding on your behalf. And don't forget what they call that place on which he's seated. The throne of power? No. The throne of glory? No. The throne of sovereignty? No. The throne of grace. This is the place where grace reigns. And reigns. The fountain from which grace flows. Run there. Run to the throne of grace. Run to the throne of Christ and find nothing but mercy and grace and help in the time of need. And when you run to him, then you just need to rest. This is the third thing to do. You just rest. Just rest. Rest. You realize this is another word for faith. Just rest. Try rest. Believe this and just rest in the advocacy of Christ. Rest in the finished work of Christ. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, he says. Rest in this never-ending intercessory work of Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. We always have and we always will. Every minute or every millennium, every second and every sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a very effective one, one who knows the judge. And last, worship. Worship. This should produce worship. You should thank God for the advocate. You should thank Father for His Son. You should thank Christ that He actually came. That He actually propitiated that awesome weight of sin. That He actually went and sat down to make intercession for us. And nothing can change that. We should praise God for His glorious grace. And we should sing songs like the one that we sang this morning with hearts just overflowing with faith and hope and love for our advocate. Because before the throne of God above, I, you, we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and ever pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, nobody, not one tongue, can bid me thence depart. That's the confidence. That's the rest. That's the worship.
Father, thank you for the advocate. Jesus, thank you for doing it and still doing it. Lord, you don't grow weary of helping sinners. You never grow weary of helping sinners. You never grow weary of helping your people when they call upon your name. Make us call upon your name, Lord. Manifest yourself as a refuge to your people all the time. Let us find joy and rest at your throne of grace. You're worthy of all praise. Thank you for helping us. In Christ's name, amen.